0: we mm-hmm. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 322 of X-Lapsed, where we are finally going to be taking a look at the Sabretooth miniseries. Uh, This one, it's been a long time coming. I feel like it was uh, first announced like six months ago. It feels like it was a very long time ago, and it just kept getting pushed back because of the the supply chain stuff that was going on in the comics industry. But now it's finally in our hot little hands, and uh, we're going to talk all about it. Uh, You know, I don't know a whole heck of a lot About the writer of this uh, miniseries Uh, Actually, I don't even know how to say his name It's Victor LaValle Or LaValle We'll say LaValle Because I I think that's probably more correct If not completely correct Probably not correct But uh, Victor LaValle Now he comes to us, uh, I believe he's a novelist Um, And since, you know, he writes books without pictures in it I don't know anything about him What I do know is that a lot of folks were very excited to hear he'd be uh, hopping on and uh, adding to our, you know, Hoxpox Pox lore. And in seeing their excitement, um, I became excited for it. Uh, also, I'm uh, very excited to finally read the story because I think it's going to explore some uh, very interesting uh, bits and pieces that have been long ignored in this uh, during this era. So we're going to find out a little bit about the pit. We're going to find a lo- out a little bit about what Sabretooth's been up to for the past... Two and a half years? (laughs) It's been a long time since that poor guy's been down there. How about uh, I quit vamping and we just get into it. This is Sabretooth Volume 4, Number 1. Had an April 2022 cover date. The story's called The Adversary. Written by Victor Lavallier. Uh, Art, Leonard Kirk. Colors, Rain Barreto. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Amaro White-Zabulski. Cover price, $5. This one went on sale on 2-2 of 22 and we open with a retelling of how we've gotten here in the first place. Now, this is the scene from House of X number 6, where the Quiet Council decides to sentence Sabretooth into the pit, which, unless I'm mistaken, was also the first time we learned that Krakoa even had a pit to begin with. Now, Sabretooth is narrating the scene, uh, so for all I know, he's just reliving it or revisiting the memory of it. And our man surveys the room, and he kind of takes in the sights of the folks who are passing judgment upon him. And he refers to uh, Xavier Magneto and Apocalypse as clowns Though he does. Uh, he is kind of cool with the way Apocalypse does things uh, He refers to Nightcrawler, Jean, and Storm as being the kids' table of the council He sees Emma Frost and Sebastian Shaw as nothing more than actors or people playing a role Sinister, Exodus, and Mystique are called the Rainbow Gang I'm not sure what that means, though I'm sure the internet has its opinion uh, He does refer to Mystique as Lenny which was the identity she had taken on back in the long ago when they were romantically involved. Now, together, Sabretooth and Mystique would have a child, Graydon Creed, and he would run for the United States presidency and also be assassinated back in the uh, mid-1990s. Now, as Creed is yoinked down into the pit, he shouts out that he will escape before anyone will even notice, which, again, I mean, this did come out like two and a half years ago, so, uh, maybe not before anyone noticed, um... Though, uh, of course, the book was delayed. I don't think it was delayed that long. But uh, it's been a while, is all I'm trying to say. From here, we hop to an info page, and it's uh, some speculation on what the pit actually is. And uh, there are some suggestions here that maybe it's Krakoa's belly. Maybe it's Krakoa's butt. Maybe it's Krakoa's heart. Perhaps it's even Krakoa's brain. And they then wonder how it is they're going to escape. And I'm not sure who's doing the speculating, but... I'm thinking it isn't Sabretooth as the verbiage is a little too cute for him. I don't see him saying the word but, at least, you know, not in current year. Maybe we will uh, get some new information before the end of the issue, or at least uh, at least something we can theorize on. From here, we get our double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Sabretooth, Professor X, Doug, just Doug, and Krakoa. I wonder if Marvel Editorial wasn't sure if we spelled Ramsey with an A or an E I know I have that problem all the time, though I'm not getting paid to do this Anyway, back to comics, and we're in some snowy wilderness Where Sabretooth is imagining that he'd escaped the pit and has gone into hiding I don't think it's spoiling anything for me to say that he's imagining all of this Uh, I mean, it's initially presented as being like a real thing that we're seeing But that realness rug is very, very quickly yanked out from under us So, after Creed hunts and kills a bear, the X-Men arrive to take him back to Krakoa. The X-Men at present are Nightcrawler, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Wolverine, and Storm. And, well, Sabretooth kills them all. And uh, I'm underselling it, because it's actually a pretty cool scene. Uh, Creed slashes Cyclops' face open, and then uses his uncontrolled optic blast to uh, barbecue all the rest, save Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler then phases his fist into Creed's chest? I don't know if he's... Trying to teleport, or, or maybe we're just confused on what Kurt's powers are, but, um, it's a dream sequence anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Now, during the struggle, Sabretooth takes a big old bite at a Nightcrawler's carotid, which kills him. He then pulls Kurt's hand from out of his chest, his own chest, of course, and his own heart comes with it. Our scene then abruptly shifts to a prison visiting room, where Creed is in an orange jumpsuit and is about to be visited by Doug. Just Doug. Also Warlock, uh, he's, uh, he's serving as uh, Doug's um, briefcase. Now Doug, just Doug, is here to offer Sabretooth a deal. He tells Creed that this pit thing will uh, never happen to another mutant ever, ever, ever again because of how cruel it is. You know, besides Nanny, Orphan Maker, Toad, and maybe some people will see at the end of this issue. Now Sabretooth decapitates Doug, which doesn't really change things considering that this is all happening in his mind. Doug offers Creed the deal again. Now, if he signs on the dotted line of this contract Krokoa will give him his, quote, mental freedom And Creed gets kind of snarky about it He's like, so what if I don't? And Doug's like, hey, no skin off my nose, pal Don't want to sign? Then by all means, don't sign But I hope you enjoy non-stop physical and mental torture Creed then ultimately decides to sign the thing Now, if I had to guess um, This scene or something sort of kind of like it Probably did happen pretty early in Creed's imprisonment because there have been hints throughout this, uh, throughout our time on Krakoa that the island itself isn't all that big a fan of the pit concept uh, altogether. And of course, I'm referring to that time that uh, Krakoa and Doug deprived us of seeing Curse and uh, Nature Girl dragged down to their uh, endless torture and doom. From here, it's an info page again, and it's more waxing on about prisons from, again, an unclear narrator. Don't know who's saying this. I don't know whose voice this is supposed to be. Uh, maybe... Maybe at the other end of the issue we'll have a... Well, we'll at least least have something to theorize on. Uh, From here, we get a Sabretooth slaughter montage. First, we see him kill Professor X. Then we see him tearing off Iron Fists. Uh, Iron Fists. Uh, Of course, uh, Sabretooth did make his first appearance in the only issue of Iron Fist Worth a Damn. He then proves himself to be the true alpha by killing all of the feral mutants. Including, you know, feral. Also, Wolfsbane. Wild Child, uh and by the looks of it, the wild child from the Age of Apocalypse timeline, and also a wolf cub from, uh, what was was that, Young X-Men? Yeah, that, was, that was a terrible, terrible series. Now, after this bit, we've got our hero, or anti-hero, or whatever we're calling him, sitting by himself, reflecting a bit. Now, it looks like this uh, endless slaughter, or endless senseless slaughter, has kind of lost its novelty, and so, well, he begins to ponder what could be next. And so... He decides to call together his own take on the Quiet Council, which he calls the Feral Council. And it features himself, also himself as a kid, and himself wearing a suit. It's worth noting there is a fourth seat at this round table, but, uh, well, it's empty. Nobody's sitting there. There's also a little cat watching the proceedings. I don't know uh, what that's supposed to be, or, or if that's supposed to be meaningful in any way. Maybe we'll find out as we work our way through. So, uh, the Creeds, they're together, and they're bored. And so they decide to pretend that they're on the last page of every single Jonathan Hickman Avengers comic, and uh, they figure they need to be bigger. And thus begins the reign of Creed the King. He is, of course, the monarch of Krakoa's butt. Now, Creed the King seems to be a play on Conan the King. He's slicing and dicing a bunch of goofs. He's also leaving the Mark of Creed everywhere he goes, which is an adorable little clawed paw. Looks like something out of The Lion King, to be honest. Next, Sabretooth is the Starjammers All of the Starjammers, they've been Sabertoothed Which, I hope against hope, doesn't lead to a whole slew of awful variant covers over the next few months I, I don't need to see the entire Marvel Universe sabretoothized, so please don't do that I probably shouldn't have even put that out into the, uh, into the ether Anyway, these feral jammers uh, bring down entire galactic civilizations They're uh, just like the CIA, but in space because I guess we need another CIA team. Uh, worth noting, the front and center Sabretooth is in the role of Corsair, and he's wearing that Mark of Creed paw print on his shirt. Next up, a uh, bit of a change of tone here. We're in the present, and we're topside. We're up on the topside of Krakoa with Black Tom Cassidy and the veg. Now, Tom notices that some gnarls of Krakoa have appeared to have taken a humanoid and uh, Sabretoothian shape. Now, it's pretty clear that Sabretooth's actions are... I don't know, sort of kind of manifesting themselves in physiological changes in the Krakoan makeup, maybe? Anyway, Tom asks Krakoa if it sees what he does, and, uh, well, Krakoa doesn't seem all that bothered by it, which is, uh, perhaps a little troublesome. Now, Sabretooth's essence is then... Mm, is sensed, the right word for it? It's uh, it's kind of in the peripheral of everyone's view here. Right? It's sensed by a few folks on Krakoa that were shown, including a Rhapsody that blue violinist from the Peter David X Factor run, as well as the recent Hellfire Gala. She senses him. A blob thinks he's caught Victor out of the corner of his eye at the Green Lagoon. Then a Morlock called Mole thinks he had a nightmare about Sabretooth killing him, which well, Sabretooth actually did do back in X Factor number fifty-three. From here we pop back down to hell and see exactly what Sabretooth's saying. And uh, it's a two-page spread, a really, really good-looking two-page spread. The entire place is a flaming, hellish landscape, full of slaughter, murder. And in the corner, we've got Creed surveying all of this destruction. He's set at his uh, thorny throne, and it's a really, really cool scene here. He sees demons just tearing apart all members of the Quiet Council. But then, the sky above seems to open up. You see, it was originally, like, all black clouds, and uh, the, the clouds part, which reveals a very, very bright light. And from that light drops five beams. So it looks like our main man may no longer be all alone. So, uh, gotta guess that this is occurring before the end of Hellions and the Trial of Magneto, then? And, I mean, it wouldn't be an episode of this show if I didn't uh, take an opportunity to give Marvel editorial guff for, uh... Not telling their stories in a linear fashion and just uh, shoving things wherever it fits. But, I mean, right now we are in hell. We're in the pit where time really has no meaning. So this can be happening at any time, and it really doesn't matter. I mean, it could be happening now, it could be happening a year from now, a year ago. It's no big deal because time is just immaterial down here. So the five beams land, and uh, you all want to know who they are? Well, I mean, I could probably give you a thousand guesses and you... Would never, ever guess who these characters are going to be. It's a very, very uh, motley array of characters. First, we have Necra. Now, Necra is Necra Sinclair, who first appeared in Shanna the She Devil. That's a hard word, hard, hard title to say. Shanna the She Devil. Actually, I take that back. It's a very easy title to say, but it sounds wrong every time you say it. It sounds like I'm slurring. Anyway, Shanna the She Devil number five, May 1973 cover date. Necra was created by Steve Gerber and Ross Andrew. And, uh, well, she's a mutant whose history is incredibly weird and, uh, arguably, I hate using the word problematic, but, uh, yeah, that. Uh, this is actually the, one of the first times I'm ever seeing her, at least knowingly. Um, this is probably because, despite being a mutant who's been around for almost 50 years, outside of some very minor stuff, she's never really crossed paths with the X-Men to this point. Next up, Madison Jeffries, a.k.a. Box. Now, of course, his first appearance, Alpha Flight Number 1, May 1983, created by John Byrne. And, uh, yeah, he's from Alpha Flight. And, uh, later, the Utopian Science Team X-Club. Next up, we got Oya, ID Uncanquo. First appearance, Uncanny X-Men 528, September 2010 cover date, created by Matt Fraction and Will Spertasio. Now, she was one of the lights from Generation Hope. You know, that first, that first little cluster of mutants that came back post... Uh, what was it? Not second. It was a second coming... Maybe it was Second Coming. It was one of those weird biblical things that they put out, like Messiah Complex, Messiah War, Messiah something or another. It, it was all clustered in that little era there around, oh, well, around 2010. Now, after a time with the lights, she would join the cast of Wolverine and the X-Men. She'd have some entanglement with the Hellfire Tots. I think she infiltrated. It's been so long since I've read that, but I think she did. Something having to do with, like, Brew being mind what It was a weird time. Uh, and then also over in Generation X Volume 2, she'd be sort of, kind of, but not really romantically linked to Quentin Quire. She was more like uh, someone that he really, really dug, and she didn't really have the time for him. Then we've got Melter. Not that Melter. This is a different Melter. Different Melter. This is Christopher Kulshis. First appearance, Dark Reign, Young Avengers Number 1, May 2009 cover date, created by Paul Cornell and Mark Brooks. Now, he's a mutant who accidentally killed his parents. Uh, he would lead the Young Masters... Is a team put together by the Enchantress. I'm guessing this is a young version of the Masters of Evil. He'd also work for the Mandarin for a bit. Um, he kind of wanted to be a hero, just didn't know how to be a hero, and then just decided not to be a hero, then decided to be a hero. It, it, it's weird. Uh, finally, we have Third Eye, who I think is a brand new character. Now, he's wearing a bolo tie and doesn't appear to actually have a physical Third Eye, you know, like the last mutant, to use the name Third Eye. Uh, I don't think it's the same guy because that fellow is white and uh, this is a black man. So we wrap up with Sabretooth greeting his new guests and also laying out his next plan. You see, he's going to put them all through hell in order to get a little bit of practice for when he gets out of the pit and puts all the topside Krakoans through hell. And that's where we leave it. Next time out, we'll be talking about the ex-lives of Wolverine number two, but, um, you know, on the subject of Zlato, Zlato, um... This issue of Sabretooth, it kind of evokes the same feeling I had when I read those issues, which is, this is kind of spit insane, but I absolutely loved it. I thought this was so much fun, uh, definitely worth the wait, and um, I-, I can't wait to get more of it. You know, it's kind of funny, when uh, when this was announced, and, and like I mentioned, I, I did not know who Victor Lavallier was. I, I'd never heard of him before right now. I think my initial gut reaction... To uh, hearing that there was going to be a Sabretooth series Because I don't think we were originally told it was a miniseries I, I guess we could have could have assumed it was going to be a miniseries Since, I mean, everything at Marvel now is basically a miniseries until they tell us otherwise But my initial, like, gut reaction was just like Oh man, really? <laughs> we're doing a Sabretooth series? Uh, of course, you know, we talk about bloat We talk about things like just making making this line of comics bigger than it absolutely needs to be And it reminded me of how I felt when they announced titles like Cable and Hellions You know, which felt very unnecessary when they were announced It's like, oh, well, of course, we have a Cable series because he's Cable Don't think we need one, but we're going to get one And then we read it, and it was really, really good And it added just so much, and it humanized a character that I think Kid Cable was one that we never really had the opportunity to warm up to until that series. And uh, Duggan and Noto absolutely knocked it out of the park. I mean, what more do I have to say about uh, Wells and Segovia on Hellions just killing it? And uh, I see Sabretooth, and it's just like, oh, okay, well, it, I guess it's the 90s all over again. We got to have a Sabretooth series. And yet here we are, and I absolutely loved it. It's. Confusing and, and weird It's it's batspit insane as I mentioned But it was really good It serves an actual purpose Like it justifies its existence In just this one issue alone It it, it serves a purpose And um, I really can't wait to get the, the next issue And I tell you what If books like this are a sign of what's to come In the Destiny of Exa landscape here I'm a lot more optimistic about it Than I thought I'd be so, I mean, we've only covered a couple of Destiny of X-era books here, and I guess with Lato's Lato, that's kind of nebulous at best. I don't know if they're, those are, like, officially Destiny of X books, or if they're just the bridge between Reign and Destiny. I think we can call them Destiny of X books, since they are coming out concurrently with the first slew of uh, of Destiny of X books. But I'm having a lot of fun with Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. I was pleasantly surprised by uh, Steve Orlando's first outing with Marauders, uh, wasn't perfect issue, but it was a lot better than I thought it would be. And we have a really fun book like Sabretooth. Um the only the only weak spot that I've seen so far is the flagship X-Men title. And uh, I feel like that's only because Duggan's just trying to get us to the next damn Hellfire Gala. And that might be an indictment on like the creative handcuffs you put yourself in when you're writing with a goal in mind, but without the flexibility <laughs> in how you're going to get there. And, uh, you know, I'm projecting, probably, because I have absolutely no insider knowledge. But when you're writing to get somewhere, whether that be the next Hellfire Gala or maybe the the Avengers, Eternals, X-Men thing that we're going to have foisted upon us this summer, then you're kind of put on a track, and there's no way to veer off of it in, either dire- in any direction, really. Which is kind of what we had to deal with during the, the Head of X era, where... Hickman had his grand plan and vision, and everybody else had to... I mean, I've said it a million times, they've had to tread water. They couldn't risk rocking the boat because they didn't want to put any kind of crimp in, in the Hickman plan. Now without a head of X, and while Duggan is writing the flagship that is definitely on a rail to you know the, the big event crossovers, the other books around it don't have to kill time. And yes, it's still very, very, very early. In the Destiny of X era So it's probably a bit too soon To start throwing babies up in the air to celebrate But uh As of the few books that we have read I, I feel like the the tone Has shifted a bit and we're gonna Have a great group of writers And creators who are actually able To tell some stories and not Just mark time until the next crossover That might be Pollyannish. That might be very naive That might be uncharacteristically optimistic But uh my fingers are crossed. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, we're going to get some satisfying stories, some satisfying reads, and not be beholden to the vision of one person who, for the most part, seemed totally disinterested in actually seeing that vision through. I guess, in short, what I'm trying to say is that I like this, and it's uh, it's left me quite optimistic about what might be coming our way. Uh, let's briefly talk about the issue here, because. Um, Honestly, there isn't much to talk about without going way off into, you know, into theorizing, and I think with one issue in, it's probably a little too soon to do that. Now, the script here really zigged when I was expecting it to zag. Um, of course, we have Sabretooth, a, a sociopath, right? He is an a absolute lunatic who, you know, seemingly gets off on violence. I mean, he's, he's a bad dude, but he's been a hero before, and I was kind of worried that that's where this was headed. <laughs> I was afraid that, and you know, it still might. It still might as we work our way through it But I thought, I really thought for a moment That this was going to go a certain way We did get that scene after the slaughter montage Where uh, where Sabretooth is just like kind of sitting by himself reflecting And I thought at that point the story was going to go one way I thought it was going to be like, oh, you know This way doesn't work You know, what's another way I can be? How can I reframe my mind? And of course Sabretooth is one of the very few characters who You remember the Axis storyline with the inversion? Where, like, Havoc turned bad for a bit and Sabretooth turned good for a bit and then he joined the X-Men, he was part of the Avengers. I mean, he was... he was a hero. He was one of a handful of characters whose inversion seemed to actually inform uh, future appearances where it didn't just go away at the end of that story. So I thought perhaps for a moment that we were going to get good Sabretooth again. But instead, what Sabretooth realized was that... uh, Well, he was tired of the senseless violence, in that it lost its novelty. But instead of going the other way, he just decides to up the level of violence here. He becomes, like, the king of hell. (laughs) The king of Krakow in hell. It was uh, not what I expected. Not what I expected, and it was very, very welcome. Though it is probably worth noting that we did get that feral council scene, right? Where we saw him as a child, we saw him in a suit, and we saw him as basically himself there was that empty chair. So part of me is wondering if that fourth chair might represent the axis inversion or just a softer side of Sabretooth. Maybe what was uh what was his little sidekick back in the... was a Birdie, I think it was Birdie who was able to kind of kind of get him to calm down. Maybe maybe that Sabretooth is the fourth seat that we didn't get to see which I mean that fourth chair wasn't there left there by accident. So I'm guessing we'll probably see Whoever occupies it uh, over the course of the next several issues. And I, I think that's totally, totally cool to kind of flesh out the saber character here. Which is to say, if he does have a good side, well, he's purposely locking it away. And I think that could be something that could be interesting to, to explore. Now, the other big takeaway of the issue is, um, well, why these five, toward the end here, why did these five characters get dropped into the pit? And I suppose we could theorize Whether they're really there at all Maybe these are more figments Of Sabretooth's imagination Because it is a very odd array um, I don't know that there's any sort of um, Seminal meetings Between Sabretooth and these five At least that we're aware of But I mean, we still do have four issues of this to go. There might be some revelations, uh, some retcons added to uh, Sabretooth's history. That certainly stands to reason. Um, But we could just take it as we see it here. These five were dropped into the pit. Well, why? All we can do is theorize at this point. Um, We can make some sort of kind of educated guesses here. Uh, Necra has killed a bunch of people. (laughs) She has killed a bunch of people in the past So, okay, kill no man Bada bing, bada boom Uh, Madison Jeffries was mind controlled Into being part of the Neverland Project Over in Weapon X Which was a a concentration camp for mutants We did see lines of mutants being, you know Entered into this concentration camp Of course, in the interim between then and now He was, you know, part of the X Club He was kind of welcomed in So, don't know uh, now, Melter was an unwitting and sometimes witting bad guy who, as mentioned, did kill his parents and also did work alongside Mandarin. Oya, I, I can't remember. Did she kill a bunch of Hellfire Club goons like during that Brew storyline in Wolverine and the X Men? I cannot remember, but maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. And of course, we've got Third Eye, who might be a new character. So uh, we don't know. Well, we don't know anything about him just yet. Now overall, like I I mentioned, if I didn't make it clear already, I really enjoyed this issue Uh, Leonard Kirk's art here was also very, very well done I feel like we haven't seen much of Leonard Kirk of late Uh, I always associate him with um, with, uh, the small, I was going to say recent X-Factor But that was like 10 years ago, which, where did my life go? But anyway, uh, great art, great story, great fun Looking forward to more, I hope you are as well but I think that's about all I have to say about it for now um, We do have mailbag letters, but today I'm on a bit of a time crunch Got some real estate stuff to do Got uh, got some, it's tax season So I mean, we got uh, we got plenty of tax stuff to do And I'm trying to fit in a date night with the wife uh, we, we do date nights in the middle of the week Because uh, there are fewer people around <laughs> So uh, we're trying to fit that in today So I want to apologize to those who have written in And assure you that we will be getting to those letters in due time but don't let that stop you from writing in even more letters, because I would love to hear from you. You can reach me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90 Men. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com or call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90 men Of course, the complete audio archives are available anywhere you find noise, and we still do have that Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that's about all I got for you right now. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!